And from now to the next uh, 13, 13 more weeks, I think, including this week, uh, we're going to do a sermon series on Ephesians. And Ephesians, for me, is such a powerful book. I'm so very excited to share this with you. Um, and uh, as we go through this series, I hope that you will be blessed. And I hope I'm, I'm going to be blessed, too. And I'm just reading. I'm just so excited about this book. Um, a lot of scholars have talked about this book, including a, a man by the name of Klein uh, Snodgrass. He said, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. So pound for pound, we talk about this a lot in perhaps if we're talking about a fighter or somebody of uh, physical, uh, good physical attributes, like if they want an athlete, um, Pound for pound, how is he or how is she? Pound for pound, uh, this person is an amazing athlete or fighter. And Klein Snodgrass would say, pound for pound, this is maybe the most important document in all of history. So I think it's important that we kind of explore this and we see what is this about. And the whole overarching theme of Ephesians is who is the church? Who is the church? And today, uh, the message title is From Blessing to Blessing. And Paul goes in and he sends this letter to Ephesus, but it was really to Asia Minor. Uh, we know now that some, some older manuscripts have the word Ephesus in it and some do not. And we believe it's because it went to Ephesus. Ephesus was probably at the time the fourth or fifth most biggest city. It was the biggest city in the world. And so they sent it to Ephesus, but we know that it was distributed all around Asia Minor, all around Turkey as we know it today. And uh, it had such good, good, wonderful distribution. It was, the letter was so good, they loved distributing it. So scholars believe that sometimes they, if it was to Ephesus, it would keep the word Ephesus in it. And if it wasn't and it was to Asia Minor, they would sometimes take the word out. So in your Bibles, you may have a little superscript saying some older manuscripts don't have Ephesus. See, and this is why. See, the stuff like this really excites me. And I'm like, oh, yes. And my nerd brain goes on crazy. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really exciting to see that a letter like this is so amazing. I'm like, you know what? This can't be just for this city. And this city is huge. It was a huge port city with tons of other religions, belief systems, different gods. But even then... I think this, this letter needs to go out even further. And we know it now in our Bible, in our canon, it's part of God's holy scripture. And in Ephesus, particularly, they worship Caesar. And if you don't know already, there was a lot of Caesar, Caesar worship going on. And people would call him Savior. People call Caesar Son of God. And so you see how this would affect the people that will worship Caesar when you hear Jesus is Christ, the anointed one. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. And so while people were being just inundated with Caesar is God, Caesar is the son of God, Caesar is Savior. Now we hear a group of people coming out and saying, no, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the son of God. 
is not so different, I think, from our society today. Many scholars also believe that if uh, any of the letters, Ephesians might be the most readily applicable one to us today. Like you could take every single thing in Ephesians and apply it to our lives today. We live right next to a major city where food is God. We call it comfort food a lot of times, don't we? And if you want to eat something good, where do you have to go? Like we can't go to Paramus. What do they have here? A diner? You have to go to Manhattan and you spend $30. You go by the Hudson and you have some food. You drop a few hundred dollars and you come back. It's like, oh, we almost have to pay tribute to go to get this comfort food. And in New York City, sex is God. Where you see you have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, move a certain way, have a certain kind of social status. And then you feel like I am somebody. I am a part of this society. I am a human being. Money is God. You go down, you want to make money. Where do you want to work? You want to work in Wall Street. You want to work in the business district. You want to work where there's a lot of money. And so where you see all these gods popping up in a port city, you see now the gospel has entered and it's pervading society and it's changing lives. And this is Ephesus. And he starts off with those, uh, the first two verses with his greeting. And then from verse 3 to 14, we hear... Almost a psalm of praise. In the actual Greek, it's just one sentence. Just one long run-on sentence, which would make the grammar Nazis crazy. They would drive them nuts. It's like, what is going on? But no English translator has ever tried translating it like Paul would say it. It is one long, one breath, one sentence praising God of his glory, of his majesty, of what he's done for our lives. How good is he, our Savior, the Son of God? And he would go on. And it would end at verse 14. And it's like, if you love somebody that much, don't you want to write them a poem or a love song? My dad would frequently sing songs when I was a kid. Uh, now, now my mom's older. She would just say, be quiet, it's too loud. But when I was a kid, he would just take poems, old Korean poems, because he had studied some poetry for my mom. And he would put music to it, and then he would sing it to her. And it's like that. When you're in love with somebody so much, you just want to sing them one long song, just just how much you love them, how much their beauty has just enraptured you and captured you. And so Paul, looking at God and seeing what he's done, takes this one breath and he sings this song of praise to him. And it's beautiful. And we start off Ephesians with this beautiful song. And I think it's so important that we focus and see what's going on here. And so Paul, in verse 3, starts with praise. And so should we. In anything we do, we should start with praise. And he praises God. So should we. He says, praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why is it important that we start with praise? Why is it important that we look at things and start anything with thanksgiving and praise? Because it changes our outlook. We actually see reality. When you don't have thanksgiving, when you don't have praise, the way you look at the world is different. It's clouded, it's shrouded, it's darker, and it's not reality. There was a tennis superstar, Arthur Ashe. He actually died of AIDS, if you know. He contracted AIDS from a blood transfusion he had. It's actually quite tragic during his heart surgery. But he was more than just a great athlete. He was a man of character. And he was a true gentleman on the court and off. He could have been bitter. He could have been very, very bitter. He could have just wallowed in his self-pity in the face of this disease. But he remained and he retained a grateful attitude. He explained, if I asked, why me? And don't we always ask that? When I was working uh, as a trader, I started off my finance career as a day trader. And I was just learning the ropes on how to trade, how to put up buys and sells. And um, the, my, my trainer was teaching me. And he would always, he, he was atheist, but he would always just point at the sky and be like, why me, God? Why me? If he lost like a dollar or two, he'd be like, why me? And I was thinking in my head, wow, this person makes thousands and thousands of dollars a day. And yet you lose a few hundred on a bad trade. He would just rage at the heavens and scream, why me? And Arthur Ashe said, if I asked why me about my troubles, I would have to also ask why me about my blessings. If I asked why me about my troubles, I would also have to ask why me about my blessings. Why winning Wimbledon? Why me marrying a beautiful woman who's also gifted and talented and also having a wonderful child? I would also have to ask that, why me? And so this attitude of praise, this attitude of thanksgiving, is how Paul starts because that's an attitude full of good character. And this is something that God injects in us. Saying, I want to show you reality and I want to show you the world as I see it. And when you get it, you praise God. You bless his name. And is blessing just a wishing well? Like, oh, like... When someone sneezes, you go, bless you, meaning, oh, I wish you well. But in the actual language, bless is closer to shalom. And I know we talked about it, but it's closer to shalom. It means when we bless or we are blessed, it's every joy, every benefit. And when it says that we have been blessed, it's past tense. Isn't that past tense? Don't a lot of us, we come here and be like, I need blessing from God. I need to be blessed right now. So let's, let's, uh, let's go to church, which is actually still better than the other side where 
people don't even come to church uh, because they have something to do. It's like, oh, you know, church is maybe third on our priority list. But it says here in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's past tense. So what is that? What is this and why is it every? It's just all-encompassing blessing. Anything. Everything. It's ours? Do you feel it? Do you experience it? Do you walk in it? And so Paul goes on to explain what they are. And um, there's three points. I was thinking about what they are. And it's adoption, redemption, and assurance. So if you just put, uh, put it as an acronym, it's just ARA. And I was thinking about a Japanese person just opening up a bag. And then they, they find, it means like, oh, right? And then you find something and you take something. Oh, there's a, there's a gold nugget here. And they're like, oh, there's another gold nugget. Oh, there's another gold nugget. Because as you keep on reading the scripture, you keep on finding these gold nuggets, these treasures that come out from Ephesians. And so if you remember Ara, if you're Japanese or went to Japan with me, or you're just a person that can remember three letters, um, then you will remember these three things. Adoption, redemption, assurance. And we'll start with adoption. And he says, we have all been granted sonship. And it's important in our day and age that we understand what sonship is. And I'm so happy the NIV did not change it to childhoodship or whatever it was. It's sonship. It, Paul meant sonship. Um, in our day and age, it's, I think it's excellent. It's great that we just don't say he all the time or man. We try to say like instead of mankind, we try to say humankind, things like that in our schools, which is great. But in this case, in this scenario, it's sonship. Why is that important? Because Paul is trying to tell his readers that you have become a son. He's telling the male members and the female members, you have become a son of God. What does that mean? It's a legal status saying now you will get all the inheritance. That's what it means. Who got all the inheritance back then? Who was able to move with confidence saying, this is my father's, but this is also mine. It will come to me. It belongs to me. Who was able to say things like that? The son did. The firstborn son did. And now Paul is saying, you, you are blessed with every single spiritual blessing. And he starts by saying, you have been granted sonship into his kingdom. You have this inheritance you have a legal status that's been changed from an orphan now to a son or daughter of a king who has all the inheritance. That's a crazy statement. That's incredible. What does that actually mean? It means inclusion. It means now we are part of the kingdom. Now we have access to the father. It's different. When you're not a child of someone and when you are a child of someone. It's different when my dad was a pastor. Uh, he retired last week and a bunch of the members here came and I was so very thankful. Thank you again for coming. Um, and I remember growing up as a kid, I would be able to go into, he would give me the key to his office 
and I could just relax there when it was too crazy. Why? It's because I was granted access because he's my father, he's my dad, to all other people that door was locked unless he opened it willingly for them, but they couldn't go in and out as they pleased. Likewise, if you are the president of the United States, oh, well, not you, but let's say the president of the United States is walking by, can you run to him screaming, Daddy? No, you will be shot, right? Before you even get close to him, you will be shot, right? You will be on the 4 o'clock news, 6 o'clock news, whatever it is, you know, prime time. This man just screamed, Daddy, and yelled at the president. He was shot there. But you can't do that. But if you're a daughter of the president and you run screaming, Daddy, no one's going to shoot you. He will accept you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords accepts you. You have a part of his inheritance. You are now included in the kingdom of God. You can run to him anytime you want and say, Dad, I'm here. And he will accept you. That's what it means to have sonship. Every single one of you, male or female, whether you are a king in this world, whether you are a slave, when you have been grafted into Jesus Christ, you have been granted this access. And he starts off by saying, we have access through our adoption. Number two, we have redemption. To a certain extent. Even if it's some kind of really low subconscious extent, we all fail. We know we don't measure up. We can cover ourselves as best we can. We do not measure up. It doesn't matter what religion you're a part of. You could be a part of an Eastern religion, Western religion. You could be part of a pseudo-Eastern, Western religion like uh, a retired basketball coach. He's now a Zen Christian, whatever that is. But no matter what, we are fallen. We don't measure up. That's what we all agree on. We are not free. We are actually slaves. Slaves of what? Slaves to our pride. Slaves to our ego. We are so needy. If it doesn't happen exactly the way we want it, the way we pictured and imagined it, we are somewhere deep down sad. Maybe perhaps even depressed. This is true for uh, marriages too. Yesterday was a very uh, interesting and very memorable event. If you didn't know already, it's blowing up on Facebook, but one of our lay leaders, Ho Young, uh, proposed now to his fiancee, Christine, and they're sitting right there. Could we give them a hand? Yes. After a few years, they did it. But let me tell you something that you should know, but you can't do anything about your marriage will not go the way you want it to go. You could plan all you want. It will not be perfect. But people will say it because they're nice. Oh, this wedding was perfect. But in their heads, like, oh, this fish was undercooked. You know, that kind of thing. But anyway, it will not be perfect. So no matter where you are in life, we see that there is something that's not right. And so what do we do? We cover ourselves. You could rage and you can throw a fit. 
but we start covering ourselves. We could say, hey, uh, you know what? In the end, I'm still a good father. I'm a good parent. I'm a good teacher. Or we could cover, that's covering ourselves religiously, right? We could cover ourselves with materials. Look at what I have. Look at what I have amassed. Look at how I cover myself, cover myself in fashion and beauty. And we cover ourselves. Where is that from? Think about it. What happens when we sin? And why do we cover ourselves? Go all the way back. All the way back to Genesis. When they sinned. What did they have to do immediately? They had to cover themselves. And so we still do the very same thing. We still cover ourselves because we cannot get over the fact that we're sinners. And the sin is destroying us. And we want to hide from it. We want to hide it. But we cannot. And in fact, what happens is the sin enslaves us. The covering is a part of the sin. And even the covering enslaves us. We have to get a new car every so often. And now we have a marketing system that just helps us along with that. It's called leasing. But it helps us along with that. And we have to get it every two years, every three years. We have to get a new outfit for every single year because that was so 2014. Are you kidding me? How can you wear that? Be ashamed of yourself. No, that kind of thing, right? We cover ourselves in such a way it almost becomes comical and ridiculous because that's not who you are. And you know that, but you can't do anything about it. And so when Jesus dies for us, Paul realizes we have now been redeemed from our sins. And these things that would try to hold us down and pull us down to hell with it, it starts losing power. It can't pull us down as much. And people are wondering, what's wrong with Eugene? What's wrong with this guy? Why does he have so much confidence? This guy, he's old and single. What the heck? Why, how can he walk? He should walk with his head down. But instead, he walks with his head up. What is going on? Don't you see? The world will be confused. And the world will still try to pull you down because they have no other way to see it. But when you have been redeemed, it doesn't matter where you are because you know now where God will pull you to. You have been redeemed. That's a predestination. And you have been chosen. You have been redeemed. That means you were once here, but God will now move you here. And that's exciting because we didn't like you here. It was terrible. It was an up and down roller coaster. Oh, I think it's good. I think it's good. Oh, my goodness. This is terrible. It's bad. Oh, I think it's going to be. Oh, my goodness. This is worse than before. And then we're in this place and we don't like it, but we know that's when it hits us. It's called midlife crisis. No, it's called, um, it's called reality check, really. And we see, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about me aging. I can't do anything about how I raise my kids, my family. I did my best. And people in their 50s and 60s realize I have so little control of what I thought I had. And then you're stuck in that place. But see, God didn't leave us there. He redeems us. He takes us somewhere we could have never gone before. And it's because of Jesus Christ dying for us. We have this redemption. 
And lastly, we have assurance. Assurance in what? The Holy Spirit. Um, of all the, I guess, illustrations I could give, I thought this was a pretty good one. <clears throat> Not that I'm a fan, just, you know, say, putting it out there. But uh, here's a quote. If uh, your mother died to save you, if there is one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. This is Dumbledore, by the way. And uh, he, he writes in this uh, children's book about, uh, I, I thought it was kind of poignant. It, it points to something uh, pretty significant for us as Christians, too. Ned Flanders would hate me for doing this, but anyway, um, there is some kind of power in love that we see, and Harry Potter got it, and Dumbledore is telling him it's not some kind of scar or mark. You don't, you don't need to be marked anymore. You don't need to have some kind of scar to say you're a Christian, but it's a deeper thing than that. It's more significant than that. It is more powerful than that. And you see, this is what the Bible talks about 2,000 years ago, even before Harry Potter. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us is not a scar. It's not a visible sign, but it's an indwelling and it's a seal of power and it's in you. Don't you get it? It's incredible. Nothing can touch you now. You have this seal. You have this mark. You have this protection. You have this power. And Paul is saying that we as a people of God with his inheritance, with redemption, now we have assurance because we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. We have this power. And that's incredible. And what does this blessing entail? It's every spiritual blessing. This is it's all encompassing. You are lacking in nothing now. In Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. Imagine walking down the streets with that in your mind and knowing and believing in your heart. Your steps will change. The music that comes from your lips will change. And that's why this is called from blessing, from blessing, from being blessed, to blessing, to blessing God. Because we realized how much we've been blessed and it's been opened up to us in this glorious song of praise. From blessing to blessing. And Paul ends it with blessing God, saying to the praise of his glorious grace. Don't just believe it in your head. Know it in your heart. And once you believe it and have faith in it, it becomes glorious to you. These blessings become glorious to you. It captures you. It turns then into praise. Have you been saved by the blood of Christ? Bless the Lord. Has he taken you 
from the darkest depths of your life. And you see him bringing him out, bringing you out. Bless the Lord. Praise him. It turns into worship. I'm not just talking about song before you do it, uh, before we sing in the beginning of the service and after the service. It's not just song. It becomes a life of worship. The blessing that you receive turns into blessing God. And this is how Ephesians begins. This is amazing. This is worth studying. This is worth looking into. And so I'm so excited to do Ephesians with us. Um, I just got a call uh, from a college student saying that they're very sad that they couldn't be here, but they're so happy they have, we have SoundCloud now or something like that, right? We're back, we're back. We're going up from the 90s into the early 2000s and we have SoundCloud and we're putting up our sermons up on the web. And so, uh, you know, they're going to follow us, so by the time they get back for a Christmas break, this uh, sermon series is over, and then we can continue to move and grow as a church. I'm very excited to do this with you, but let's remember as we start our journey together, this is from blessing to blessing. God has already blessed you with such incredible blessings that the world cannot fathom. What can I understand? But God has opened your eyes to see it. Let's start by blessing and praising God. Amen. Uh, let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this incredible, incredible blessing. What more can we say but thank you and that we worship you. And if we are to lift up a name, Lord, let it be the name of Jesus in this place. For it is because of you we have seen adoption and redemption, and now we have assurance in the Holy Spirit. So, Lord God, help us to walk with this confidence. Help us to walk knowing that we are your child, and we have a part in your kingdom. And if there's any one of us that does not know it yet, Lord God, I pray that as you knock on the doors of their hearts, that they will be able to fully receive you. And Lord God, won't you change their lives? Won't you start something new in them? Make them a new creation in Christ. We thank you for this incredible grace. And we turn it back into praise. In Jesus' name we pray. stand as we respond with this praise.
continuing standing for the charge and prayer. We are now blessed to be a church gathered, but now we are also blessed to be a church scattered. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us. And as we praise your name, God, be glorified. May the worship of our lives exalt you in all that we do wherever we are until we meet again in Jesus. Amen.